the Pew Bibles. We have two readings. So the first reading is from Psalm 52. Why do you boast of evil, you mighty hero? Why do you boast all day long, you who are a disgrace in the eyes of God? You who practice deceit, your tongue plots destruction. It is like a sharpened razor. You love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You love every harmful word, you deceitful tongue. Surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up and pluck you from the tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteousness will see and the righteous will see and fear. They will laugh at you, saying, Here now is the man who did not make God his stronghold, but trusted in his great wealth and grew strong by destroying others. But I am like an olive tree, flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. For what have you for what you have done, I will always praise you in the presence of your faithful people. And I will hope in your name, for your name is good. And the second reading is from Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 through 10, which is on page 1165. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong.
kids are on the bus. Uh, meetings don't start for another... Oh dear, I've got one at 9.15. I've cut one into my quiet time again. That's so typical. But I've got, like, I've got half an hour. So, um, God, it's 2 Corinthians apparently in my reading plan, which is weird because I hate 2 Corinthians. Sorry, God. I'd hate it if anyone else heard me say that, but it's, I do struggle with it. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, chapter 12 it is. I'd rather read Philippians again, but I'll stay with 2 Corinthians and uh, we'll see how we go. Um, so Paul's boasting. Uh, God, that's one of the reasons why I don't like 2 Corinthians, but I'll stick with it. And uh, there's a guy who goes up to a third heaven. I don't understand this stuff at all. The third heaven? Um, I had a music teacher, Joe. Uh, she had spiritual experiences, spoke in tongues, said she had visions. I don't know why she got that and I didn't. I've never had that. I don't really understand that. But I like the bit at the end. My power is made perfect in weakness. I could make a screensaver. And uh, I could. But time's short. Just got to slow down and read your word. Father, thanks for another day. Um, thanks that I'm opening your word again. It always amazes me that I ever open it. And it always amazes me every time I do. So please speak to me again. In Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know what your quiet times look like. Um, mine look a little bit like that. Uh, and over the next um, month, among some really sort of ordinary sermons, I'll love when I take that off, um, among some really ordinary sermons, there'll be some sermons that look a little bit different. Um, because I'm aiming for us to head into a new year, di- digging more deeply daily into God's grace, ways that we can rely and lean heavily upon God. Uh, so what I've done is um, chased up bits in the Bible where the word, basically where the word grow or the concept of growing comes together with God's grace, either God's grace growing for us or us growing in God's grace, and, and I've found out some things. Um, and I also want to simulate um, the kind of time that I spend to dig more deeply into God's grace in order to stimulate, hopefully, us together doing that in your own way. You don't have to do it how I do it probably shouldn't, it's a bit weird, Um, in your own way. Uh, Because I'd really like us to do those things that help us um, lean on God's grace and dig more deeply into it. So this January is going to be a little bit different. Uh, You're going to see some slightly weird sermons and some more conventional sermons, but hopefully that's what we achieve. And in showing you one way of reading the Bible in a quiet time, I'm going to show you one method, and there's lots of different ones. Put your hand up if you've heard of Every Day with Jesus. Yep, a few people. Put your hand up if you've heard of The Daily Reading Plan by Matthias Media. Yep, a couple people down the back. Um, Put your hand up if you've heard of, like, flopping the Bible open on the table and seeing what happens next. Yep, that's everyone. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Uh, here's one approach, uh, kind of popular around university campuses at the moment because it takes um, paying closer, slower, deeper attention to the word um, carefully, and that's coma, which, by the way, is what my quiet times sometimes look like, um, coma. But it's a good thing, and it stands for context, observation, message, and application, and I'll just show you how I might do it. Context. You know, when you arrive at a passage, you, you know, um, you're not the first person to walk into the room, right? 
There was something going on before you entered. And um, there's something going on in Paul's boasting that he starts in verse 1. And so I just kind of sit around and listen for a minute and I can trace a thread of where the conversation's been. And if I look back, I can see actually Paul's been boasting a lot. Uh, He says in verse 30 of chapter 11, if I must boast, I'll boast of the things that show my weakness. No surprise, that's what he's saying here. So it's like the same passage in a way. Um, I can actually see him boasting up in verse 22. He says, are they Hebrews? Talking about someone else. He says, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? Me too. But he says, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Maybe they only were exposed only once. And it's kind of boasting, right? And I look back, verse 16, he says, Don't let anyone take me for a fool, but if you do, tolerate me like you would a fool so I may do a little boasting. Because like in the theatre, the fool would come out, right? And he'd go, you know, he'd be like the warm-up guy at stand-up comedy. He'd like tell, you know, big jokes and make himself look big and everyone's meant to laugh at him. And Paul's saying, well, if if we're going to do boasting, I'm going to really turn it on. Um. And why is he doing all this? He says it, if I look back even further, verse 12, he says, I'll do it, keep on doing it, in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. For such people are false apostles. So he's got some like competition going on with some other teachers. If I look even further up to verse 5, I can see he doesn't think he's in the least inferior to those people who call themselves, or he calls, super apostles, you know, like the Marvel apostles. And, and I think I've got my context right. What's going on in the room before I arrive in it? Paul's been teaching the Corinthians. Some other guys have arrived. These guys have been boasting that they're really rich in spiritual experience. And Paul goes, hey, I'm your teacher, so let me boast too, and I will boast in being rich in grace by boasting in my weakness not in my power that seems to be what's going on in the context I think Hmm. observation what happens when we get into chapter 12 well there's a lot to see here there's a lot to see firstly there's a dude who went to the third heaven what's that about who is this Man, it wasn't, wasn't like a um, levitator, it wasn't a Las Vegas magician, it wasn't like some strange sorcerer. It was a man in Christ, verse 2. It happened 14 years ago. I don't know why he remembers it so neatly. But this man was caught up to the third heaven. Apparently, this man didn't know whether he was in the body, like a kind of weird resurrection, or whether he was like in a vision. Apparently, he didn't know. And he saw stuff that couldn't be spoken of. And really strangely, Paul goes, I'll boast about this guy, but when I boast about myself, I'll only boast about weaknesses. Hey, why is he boasting about the other guy when all the time he says, oh, all those people that boast about their rich spiritual experiences, um, I'm against them, but then he boasts for this guy. And I wonder, and here's my thought, right? I think... Maybe it's him. Maybe Paul's the guy who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven, whatever that is, and he's not going to tell us. Maybe it was him. Maybe it's like, you know, when you put your hand up in a public forum and go, I have a good friend who dot, 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 and everyone goes, "Mm, yes, we know who you're talking about. 
you're the good friend. Maybe that's what's going on here. Paul's saying, I know a person who had a really rich spiritual experience, one that would like burn your spiritual experience to the ground. It was me, and I could boast about that. I will boast about it. No, for myself, I'll boast only in my weaknesses. I think that's what's going on. And then he tells us about his weaknesses, and he tells us about a thorn in the flesh, verse 7, to keep me from being conceited. So he was getting conceited. What could he be conceited about? I think it's about that vision, that heavenly transport, that weird thing that went on, that surpassingly great revelation, verse 7. And he goes, but to keep me from getting arrogant, I was given a thorn in my flesh. What's that? Well, he calls it a messenger from Satan, so it wasn't very nice, and I guess it had some evil intent. But he was given it, and it sounds to me a bit like it's come, at least with the allowance, if not the direction and providence of God. And yet it torments him. And he says three times he pleaded with God to take it away. So whether God brought it or not, God had the power to take it away. And God answers him three times, no, I won't. And Paul's thankful because this thorn in the flesh exposed him to such weakness that he didn't just hear God say, no, no, no. He heard God say, my grace, my grace, my grace. Sufficient, sufficient, sufficient. My power, my power, my power. Your weakness, your weakness, your weakness. It's pretty cool. Which is why, verse 10, I reckon I observe him summing up and saying, For Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. I love insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. That's all I observe, right? I'm done. Can't see much more. There's a lot in there. That'll do. What's the message? Context, observation. I've spent long enough looking around the passage on its own terms not to find myself talking about my old music teacher and her spiritual experiences. I don't know about you, when I open up the Bible, I, like, I've got three natural landing pads in the passage. You know, Something will happen this week, something will happen in my past, something will be happening in my own mind, and I go straight to them and I can't hear anything God's got to say. Do you know what I mean? So it's just good to spend some time observing what's actually in the passage, getting out of myself and into God's word then I might see his message and not mine. And the message seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? It's right there in the end. Here's the weird thing, that we should actually delight in weakness. Pretty strange. I tried to nut this out. I thought I should try and like journal it in my quiet time. Try and write a few sentences to describe what's going on. I wrote this. Is it, it is better to be physically weak because God's power is then displayed. Uh, you know what I mean? Plenty of buff people in Maribra. A lot of fine physical specimens. Don't see a lot of God. So maybe that's what he's saying. It's better to be physical weak than God's power is displayed. You know, when you can't do stuff, God can. I think that's kind of close, but I've got to strike it. I don't think it's close enough, because some of the problems here aren't just physical. It's, um, they're spiritual too, aren't they? So he's saying like it's better to be generally weak, whether it's spiritually or physically or both, uh, and not just because God's power is displayed, but because then God's power is like more heavily lent on. You just have to lean on God's power then. And I think that's closer. 
But I still, I could spend some time like just writing these sentences out again and again to think, what is he actually saying? And I, I'm not 100% sure. But I remember this other verse that I love. And it says this. It says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And I checked my phone, you know. You chuck in a word on your Bible app. It tells you every time it comes up. And I find out this passage comes up twice. James 5, 4, 6 and 1 Peter 5, 5. So God means it, right? He'd mean it if he said it once. Says it twice. The apostles pick it up again and again in one theme or another. Like we've just been reading Luke. Is, this, is, this not, is your brain not full of this? That God opposes the proud? You know, that like Quirinius can count a census, but he prefers the shepherd who are counting sheep. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. So here it is. Here's the message, I think. God's grace really is more fully present to the humble and the weak than to the strong. I think that's the kingdom of God. But I hate being weak. So I've got to turn to apply it. When I think of application, I often think of three things just because I'm not very smart and I need them to think, right? Hands, heart, head. Uh, what does God want from me and my thinking, my feelings, my action? I can't see much to do here. You know, passages says delight in your weakness. It's not telling me to go out and do three things to be more godly, right? There's nothing for my hands to do. What, what does my heart do? Thank you, I saw that, girls. Uh, <laughs> Uh, what does my heart do? Well, I'll tell you what my heart does. Half of my heart rebels against this because I hate weakness and half my heart loves the fact that people can be weak and yet be strong because we live in a world where people who are strong are jerks and frequently arrogant and, um, and are opposed to God. And there are so many people who will only ever be weak. And um, isn't it great that they might always be more than weak. In fact, they might actually always be strong. I, just, I think that sounds like the kingdom moves my heart. But what it really does is affect my head. And it says, Jim, you've got to get in your head that weakness may draw you closer to God's grace. And I'm so encouraged by others to think about strengths all the time. Whenever I point out a weakness, I've said this before, whenever I point out a weakness, three people will point out four strengths to me. And I don't want to hear it. It's not like I don't know my strengths. I'm an arrogant jerk. I can count them all out. I probably know more of my strengths than you, and I probably think more of them than you think. But when I pause and I understand something of my weakness, whether it's physical frailty or whether it's spiritual weakness, plenty of that, I'm, I'm happy to dwell there a moment because I know I'm closer to God's grace there. There's a connection between humbling weakness and God's grace. When God humbles me because of my sin, when he breaks me with some suffering, when I'm weak from sickness, I find I am much closer to God's grace. This is not an experience. I'm just telling you he promises this and then I find it's true. And um, so if we're going to grow in grace, if we're going to dig more deeply into grace, it's not just a matter of sitting down and reading the Bible every day or praying every day. It's not just a matter of coming to church. It's not a matter of excelling in the grace of giving, though we're going to talk about every one of those four things in the next month. But it begins with an attitude of the heart, not even an attitude of the heart, just an 
apprehension of who you actually are as a not entirely world-beating person, as someone that's actually frequently broken, and as citizens sing in their great song, I'm stronger broken. I am stronger broken. I went to a citizens gig a couple of years ago and um, loved it. Citizens and King's Kaleidoscope. And I just remember them singing that phrase. I hadn't listened to the album yet and I heard, I am stronger broken. And I went home with that ringing in my mind and I've never got it out since. So good. What does this mean? Well, it means that I'm going to understand something about God's grace. And you might be a bit uncomfortable at why I'm speaking, I hope you are, because to talk about getting more of God's grace makes it sound like you haven't got enough. And when we talk about grace, the first thing we need to say all the time, and John prayed it about three times in his prayer, is that when we came to Jesus, when God called us to Jesus, we just received an overflowing cup of grace. It was, it was so full, and grace meaning God's undeserved kindness, it was so full that it saved us, it adopted us as God's child, forgave us our sins. And there was nothing missing of it, and there never ever will be, and I'll always be wrapped in that grace. There was nothing I could do to somehow kind of get in that glorious bucket of grace, just way too big for me, no power of mine. God just poured it out over me, and he did it once for all, as we'll see in a minute, and it's never going away. So I have massive confidence before God, which is why I can handle looking at a weakness, because it doesn't destroy me. I'm okay. So that grace is like concrete, right? In one metaphor, it's like a cup that's always overflowing and never running out. So we're not missing anything of God's grace. But yet at the same time, on this side, the Bible can describe us coming closer in God's grace or receiving more of God's grace. The Bible can describe us of grieving God, that is, kind of spurning his grace, or of making him jealous, that is, like offending his grace. So even though I'm absolutely fine in God's grace, there's a reality to relationship with God that I can actually enjoy more of his kindness. These two things don't cancel each other out. It's just because at the centre of both of these things, there's a God who's so kind that his kindness overflows into a salvation that can never be taken away from me and then is, a, you know, that was accomplished 2,000 years ago and then there is grace every day for dozens of things that I need help with. And it's just available every day because there's so much kindness in the heart of this God in the middle that it overflows everywhere. And I think some of the story of my Christian life this year, as Nikki asked us about the beginning of the service, is to enjoy that daily graces of God, the undeserved kindness that still overflows to me. And to be that person and do those things and cultivate those habits and be disciplined at those disciplines that remind me that I really need God. And they don't begin with doing stuff. They begin with an attitude of the heart and a knowledge about ourself. And that knowledge is humbling weakness humbling weakness that's why that psalm roasted that guy who was strong in himself what did it say it absolutely roasted him here now is the man who did not make God his stronghold but trusted in his great wealth and grew strong by destroying others idiot right why? Because there is such power and grace 
in our weakness in a strong God. Just two things to finish. I'm actually physically weaker. Last year I built like a bookshelf up in my office. I carried six, don't be impressed, but I carried like six bricks at a time, like, you know, load after load of them up there. Like six bricks is quite a lot. You go home and measure it, right? This year I carried six bricks up there, turned around, went, I think I'll carry three in the next load. I, just, I had one load in me, like my back hurt. I'm genuinely getting physically weaker. And some of you, you can't imagine this, others of you know it. But I would like to think from this that I might be more useful to God when I'm on a walking cane than I am today. And I really believe that. And I want my church to believe that. And I want the people in our church on walking canes to believe that. And I know they don't. And I understand because when I'm on a walking cane, I'm not sure I'll believe it either. But right now I do. And I want to then. And maybe when I'm old and doddery, I will just be so weak and yet so leaning into God, so dependent on him, that I'll be more fruitful and powerful for his kingdom than I've ever been in my pathetic middle ages or my immature 20s. And, and yet no one will ever know, see it or care because I'll be old and when you get old you become a bit more invisible. But I don't care. I just would like to be stronger in God. I'm also spiritually weak. I know this, and I usually dwell on it guiltily, which is stupid, or try to make myself better, which is hopeless, or get depressed about it. But I have to remember that actually I'm blessed being poor in spirit. That's what Jesus said. Blessed, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Blessed in spiritual weakness. Blessed is the dude with the thorn in his flesh. The woman who has a marathon battle with envy. The guy who's struggling with purity. The woman who hates her anger. God says, my grace is sufficient in this. My power, it's for moments like this. So Lord, please help me to believe I'm stronger broken. Help me not to seek any health and wholeness that's outside of you, but to find myself again in you and your grace. Let your kindness fill all my life and all my lacks, so I'm strong in you, feel strong in you, will be strong in service of you and strong in praise of you. Anyway, really got to get to my meeting, so I should probably pray. Oh, I just did. Sometimes it happens like that. Amen.